Well, good morning, Community of Grace. It's good to be with you this morning. My name is Britta Molly. I'm the Children's Ministry Director here at the church, and it is my privilege to get to share a word from the Lord with you this morning. And welcome also to those of you who are joining us online. Now, if you've been following along our summer sermon series, Connecting the Dots of Faith through the Book of Hebrews, you might be wondering why we just heard a really long passage from the Book of Ezekiel. And I'll tell you the truth, as I wrote this message, I spent a lot of time asking myself the same question. Turns out when your pastor says you can preach on whatever you want, sometimes the Holy Spirit gives you more of a challenge than you were prepared for. But I do think that the Lord has some very important dots that he wants us to connect this morning through this passage. So will you pray with me and let's invite the Holy Spirit to do just that. Holy Spirit, would you come and move Lord, just as we feel the wind across our faces, I pray that we would feel the wind of your spirit move in our hearts. As we hear from your word this morning, I pray that it would be you speaking, and not me, but you through me. Give us ears to hear and hearts open to listen. In the name of your holy and precious Son, Jesus, amen. So around Christmas time this last year, I became interested in finding out my Enneagram type. I had heard a lot about it, and I know I'm a little late to the game. But for those who may not be familiar, the Enneagram is a system of nine personality types that can help people understand themselves, how they communicate and interact with the world around them. So I quickly discovered that I am a type nine, which is characterized as the peacemaker. And as you may have guessed, a defining characteristic of the peacemaker is that I like peace. I like things to be peaceful. I hate conflict. To the point that if I start to sense a conversation or a situation might just be heading in the direction of conflict or confrontation, I often start trying to preemptively diffuse it. I've been noticing a lot lately how I often say things like, well, there has to be a middle ground here somewhere, or why does this have to be an either-or situation? Can't we do like a both-and kind of thing? Or I think you're both right, or you both have valid points. I say these things all the time. In fact, I'm actually doing some preemptive conflict avoidance right now by telling you all and warning you all that I am conflict avoidant. Everything in my conflict avoidant self wanted to find a way to soften my message this morning or to make it more palatable to the listener. And as Dan told me, you probably think you sound a lot harsher than you actually do. I wanted to find my way to that middle ground that just has to be around here somewhere. And I think we will get there eventually, but we have to tread over some difficult ground first. So as we've been learning about in our study of Hebrews this summer, Israel had a very specific system for how the people interacted with God. And it was this system that Ezekiel is calling out in his message in chapter 34. So at the top of this system, you had the high priest who offered the most important sacrifice of the year on the Day of Atonement. And then you had on the next level an entire tribe, the Levites, who were equipped and trained to serve in the temple on a rotating basis to make sure that the day-to-day tasks of ministry between God and the people were accomplished. 
When Ezekiel is talking about the shepherds who are mistreating the flock, the high priests and the Levites were a part of that group. And then you had your average Israelites, which was pretty much anyone who wasn't the high priest or a Levite. And these are the sheep that Ezekiel says have been scattered and wounded by their shepherds. And as the author of Hebrews has been laying out for us in this review, that system experienced a groundbreaking shift the moment that Jesus became our final and ultimate high priest. And that moment, that groundbreaking shift was prophesied here in Ezekiel 34 in verses 21 through 23. Because you shove with flank and shoulder, butting all the weak sheep with your horns until you have driven them away, I will save my flock, and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. Now, at first glance, that makes it sound like David, as in King David, would be the new shepherd over Israel. But Ezekiel was a prophet hundreds of years after the death of King David. And I think that it's a fair reading that in this prophecy, David's name is a placeholder for Jesus, the good shepherd who was to come. And I think when Jesus said this of himself in John 10, 14, it was to this passage and others like it that he was referring as he said, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Scripture makes it very clear that Jesus is now our perfect high priest and our perfect good shepherd. But the high priest was not the only role included in Ezekiel's definition of shepherds. Remember, there were hundreds of Levites who were supposed to be ministering to and tending to the needs of the flock. So for us, we know who our high priest is, but who are the Levites? Who are these shepherds, as Ezekiel refers to them? It's tempting for us to draw the comparison between the ancient Levites and the pastoral or ministry staffs of our modern churches. You've probably heard of pastors being referred to as shepherds and their congregations as their flocks. In fact, Andy Hennig just shared with me between services that the Latin for shepherd is pastor. And if you draw that comparison, Ezekiel 34 doesn't feel so uncomfortable to read unless you happen to be on a church staff. And it's not a bad picture to draw. It has a lot of truth to it in many cases. We often talk about pastors having to shepherd their flock. But if we only interpret it that way, it's a little bit like if I were to do a connect the dots activity and I just kind of chose to skip over a dot or two. I would get most of the picture and I'd probably be able to figure out what it was supposed to be, but I wouldn't see the full picture as the creator intended for me to see it. And maybe like an almost complete connect the dots picture, you can see a little bit of where I'm going with this, so I'll just finish the picture for you. You are the Levites. You are the shepherds charged with the care of Christ's flock. 
Now you might be wondering, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Me, a shepherd? I thought Jesus said he is the good shepherd. And you're right. Jesus is the good and only perfect shepherd, which we can never be. But we all have neighbors across the street or family members in our own houses or people in our workplaces who don't see Jesus as their good shepherd because they're looking at his flock. No mental image breaks my heart more than the thought of Jesus bringing a lost sheep home to the 99, only for the lost sheep to see the 99 acting the way Ezekiel describes in verses 3 and 4. You drink the milk, wear the wool, and butcher the best animals, but you let your flock starve. You have not taken care of the weak. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who have wandered away and are lost. Now hearing that, your first inclination might be to say, but that's not us. Or that's not how I am. Or but that doesn't apply to this church. I know that's my own emotional gut reaction. In fact, I wonder if the author of Hebrews might have also been a peacemaking type nine like myself. Because if you read through Hebrews chapter six, the author lays out some very tough to swallow truths and then says this in verse nine. Even though we speak like this, dear friends, we are convinced of better things in your case. And I was rather entertained as I read this in the translation I use for personal study because it puts it much more succinctly. We really don't think this applies to you. All those tough things that we just said, it, it really doesn't apply to you. One of the reasons I chose Ezekiel 34 as my main text this morning is because I think it serves very well as both a warning and an encouragement that we need to apply to ourselves. And warning and encouragement are simply two sides of the same coin. The author of Hebrews also recognized the importance of putting warnings and encouragement side by side. They go together because... Warnings without encouragement lead to condemnation. But encouragement without warnings leads to complacency. Let me say that one more time. Warnings without encouragement lead to condemnation. But encouragement without warnings leads to complacency. My friends, I don't want you to leave here this morning feeling condemned, not at all. But I also don't want you to leave feeling complacent. Do you see how I found a middle ground there? It took me a while, it took a lot of rewriting. But that middle ground I want you to leave here today standing firmly on is called conviction. Conviction is an interesting word. We will often talk about feeling convicted by the Holy Spirit when we've done something we know is wrong, and it leads us to repentance. But we also use the word conviction to describe something we feel strongly about, something we are absolutely, unequivocally, utterly passionate about. I like conviction because it's that middle ground. 
It's the narrow path that keeps us from getting stuck in the ruts of the shame of condemnation or the slumber of complacency. So what does walking that middle ground of conviction look like? It involves two steps. And they aren't just two steps that you check off the boxes and you're done. It's two steps that you take over and over and over again as you continue your walk with Jesus. The first step is repentance. We repent of the times when we've headbutted people out of the flock, either by our words, by our actions, or even our inactions. We repent from attitudes of complacency, a feeling like someone else will do that hard work because it kind of just seems to always get done and I just kind of get to sit here and reap the benefit. We repent of condemnation, the times when we've made others feel like they don't really belong in the flock or that they have to get their act together, get cleaned up before we bring them to the good shepherd who's actually the one who's supposed to be doing the cleaning. Now, the peacemaker in me wanted to resist sharing a specific example of where I see something that we as a church need to repent. But right now, we as a staff are reading a book called Ragged, Spiritual Disciplines for the Spiritually Exhausted. And it has opened my eyes in so many ways. And as I was reading a chapter in it earlier this week, I felt the Holy Spirit give me permission to call out this particular issue that I can speak to. So let me read to you a quote from the book. I once met a woman who was over 90 years old named Priscilla, who had dedicated her life to women's Bible studies since she was 20. What was the biggest challenge for you in leading these Bible studies, I asked. She didn't hesitate a single second. Childcare, she said. No one wants to watch the kids, so women have even an hour once a week to study God's word without interruption. I would spend most of my energy trying to convince people in the church that women just need a little bit of time each week to let them hear the gospel. For some reason, the men never had childcare issues for their Bible study or prayer groups, no matter when they meet. But the women often can't go because they don't have anyone to watch their kids or they have to rotate who misses that week, or they have to pay a babysitter, and they just don't have the money to attend a Bible study. My friends, as your children's ministry director, I can echo Priscilla's statements. My core team of volunteers and I want to dream big when it comes to facilitating ways for moms and dads to come together to connect and feel fed and ministered to by their church family. But one of the biggest obstacles we always face in trying to generate ideas is childcare. Who's gonna watch the kids? What are we gonna do with them while we try to feed their parents? In fact, right now we are struggling just to be able to offer nursery care at both worship hours every Sunday. And we don't have nursery this morning, which my son was very, very sad about. The majority of our nursery volunteer roster over the last year, not all, but the majority, have been the parents with kids in that age range. And knowing how hard it is to get kids out the door in the morning, it's really hard to ask a parent to now sit and watch other people's kids. 
Church, that's not how to feed and grow your flock. That's headbutting a very vulnerable part of the flock to the side. So step one is repentance. And part of that step of repentance is simply opening our eyes to realize what we need to repent from, the needs of those around us that we have not acknowledged or let go ignored. The second step we take is activation. We actively become doers of the word and not hearers only. We get involved. We actively go out and look for the lost sheep. I rejoice when a lost sheep simply walks in our doors, but it's not as common as we'd like it to be. We have to go out and look. We actively care for the youngest and most vulnerable in our flock, the ones who don't quite yet understand what it means, what Jesus did for them. And they need you to tell them, to show them, to demonstrate that love to them. We actively find ways to make spiritual education accessible to people with all sorts of different life circumstances and limited schedules. We actively seek to gently and tenderly bind up the wounds of those who have been hurt by the flock before. We become active participants in building God's kingdom, not to our liking or our specifications, because we are not the gatekeepers of God's kingdom. We build God's kingdom to his specifications. And he throws the doors wide open. All are welcome to come in, to come and see and know the good shepherd. My friends, you have an amazing church staff who all desire to make it as accessible and as simple as possible for you to take these two steps of repentance and activation. And we want to make it simple and accessible to you because the reality is we cannot do it all ourselves. And I know that I have tried, and we need to repent of that. Our staff alone cannot shepherd and meet the individual needs of every sheep in the flock and go looking for all the lost sheep in our community to bring them into the fold. But you can. Not by yourself as individuals. I don't want anyone to leave here thinking, gosh, I got to do all this work myself. No. We do it as community. As a church community of shepherds who have a deep and abiding conviction to find the lost sheep, the lonely sheep, the wounded sheep. And if we do that together, I know the Lord will do amazing things because I have seen him do amazing things in you and through you as a grace people. This past week, I had the privilege of partnering with the organization Fellowship of Christian Athletes to host a sports camp right out here on our fields. And one of the things that Brent Voigt, the camp director, who some of you may know, really emphasizes to the young leaders is to get to know their campers' names and to use their names to call out when they see a good play. And it really helped me because over and over, all through the camp, I heard the leaders calling out kids' names so I could get to know them too. And they were saying things like, great catch, name, good block, name, 
Way to hustle, name. And the cool thing is that it wasn't always the same name I was hearing. It was all the kids in their group. And then on the last day, as we prayed with leaders before the campers arrived, Brent said this during his prayer, and it just struck me, and I felt the Holy Spirit say, this is what you need to share. Nobody believes that God really knows their name unless someone God sends to them knows their name. Nobody believes that God really knows their name unless someone God sends to them knows their name. It's time for us shepherds to get to know the names of the sheep. And it's time for us to get to know the needs that those names have. Many, many of you do that, and you do it so incredibly well and beautifully. In the nearly three years I've worked here, I have seen this church rise to meet challenge after challenge and meet some incredible needs in our community. And especially I have seen you bless our children in amazing ways. Recently, I was so privileged as we were 25 days out from the start of VBS, one of the most intense volunteer asks we ever put out for the year. And I needed 30 people at minimum, to commit to over 12 hours of volunteer work. And God knocked my socks off through you, Grace people, by giving me more than what I thought I needed. So don't stop. Hear the encouragement. Remember that warning and encouragement. They're side by side. So hear the encouragement. Don't stop the good work you're doing. Keep going. You are a beautiful community and a community that I love to be a part of. It's clear the author of Hebrews felt the same way toward the community they preached to. So I want to close this morning with this encouragement from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, because I really can't say it any better than how it's already been written in God's word. So receive this blessing and encouragement. God is not unjust. He will not forget your work and the love you have shown him as you have helped his people and continue to help them. We want each of you to show this same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would do the good work of conviction in our hearts. Not condemnation and not letting us fall into complacency, but to leave here today knowing, Lord, where it is that we need to repent and where it is that we need to activate so that we can build your kingdom, not ours. Give us the strength, the courage, and the tenacity, Lord to repent as we need to and to do the work you're calling us to. And we do this all by the grace of your holy and precious Son, our Good Shepherd. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.